you that you came. In this Holy Sp- this morning, Holy Spirit, we ask you that, that you would teach us more about Jesus' name. Father, this morning we've come for the single purpose of, of hearing from you, Lord. Receiving something fresh, something new, something needful from you this morning. And we ask, Lord, that as we open your word, that you would open our hearts. And, Lord, that you would come and that you would speak to our lives. Lord, I, I, I know that this morning there's a lot, of, a lot of needs present. And I pray, Father, that through the teaching and preaching of your word, that you would meet those needs on a personal level. We ask that Jesus would be glorified, that the body of Christ would be edified. And Father, we even ask that for those who are here this morning who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we even ask this morning, Father, that they would be evangelized. And that this morning, Lord, we would not leave the same way that we arrived, but that we would leave more in love and more closer to Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. We commit this time into your hands. Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many can say amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Book of Revelation is very easy to find in the Bible. It's the last book of the Bible. So if you're in the book of Genesis, you're you're a little off because that's the first book of the Bible. But Revelation chapter 3, this morning... We're going to continue our study in the book of Revelation, and we're going to continue our study on the seven letters to the seven churches, which is found in Revelations chapter two and three. Now, if you recall in Revelation chapter two and three, Jesus, the head of the church, he gives John, who was the author of the book of Revelation, Seven different messages directed towards seven different churches in Asia Minor on present day Turkey. Now, this is what was going on. Jesus, he was concerned about his bride, the church. And so he took the time to send her these personal love letters. And through these letters, He wanted to enrich her, encourage her, comfort her, and even correct her. And so we have these seven letters given by Jesus, written through John, directed towards the seven churches of Asia Minor. You know, every time I think and read these letters, I always think how it's so amazing that The Lord of glory, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. It's so amazing that Jesus is personally concerned about us. And how Jesus is interested in our well-being. Doesn't it make you feel so special this morning to know that Jesus is concerned about you? That Jesus himself is interested, is concerned how you're doing, how you're feeling, how you're progressing in your Christian walk. You know, I love the fact that Jesus is concerned, is thinking about me. And he was thinking about his churches. And so he gave these messages to John to send to them. Now, if you recall, in our last study of of the seven letters to the seven churches, we looked at at the fourth letter, the the fourth message, 
which was written to the church of Thyatira, found there in chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. And and just by way of review, I want to just mention a few things we looked at in our last study. In his message to the church of, of Thyatira, the Lord Jesus, he took the time to commend the church or, or praise the church for their increase in works. Over time, this church, they, they were increasing, they were growing, they were maturing in their Christian service before the Lord. However, as, as we saw, the Lord, he, he had a few things against this church and actually these few things were major things the lord condemned or or corrected the church because they had a, a problem with tolerating sin and they had a problem with failing to repent of their sin there in the church there was a, a woman whom the lord refers to as jezebel and this woman she was encouraging the saints encouraging the body to to sin to give in to their lustful desires and their lustful appetites and the lord was a little upset at the church because instead of throwing out this woman instead of cleaning up the church and and refusing to listen or give in to sin instead of doing all that the church was tolerating sin in the church you might say were allowing this woman to come on in and corrupt and defile the church of christ and so the church sent them this message and really the lord told them clean up your act stop tolerating sin repent from your sin or else there's going to be serious consequences and so the last study we had we looked at the message to the church of Thyatira. now this morning we're going to continue and we're going to look at the fifth of the seven letters the letter to the church of sardis and so if you have your bibles open let's all look at revelations chapter 3 and we're going to begin in verse 1 and we're going to read all the way down to verse 6 and if you have it what if you let me know by saying amen amen this is what it says and to the angel of the church in sardis write these things says he who has the seven spirits of god and the seven stars i know your works that you have a name that you are alive but you are dead be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die for i have not found your works perfect before god remember therefore how you have received and heard hold fast and repent therefore if you will not watch i will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour i will come upon you you have a a few names even in sardis who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and i will not blot out his name from the book of life but i will confess his name before my father and before his angels let's read verse six together he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says 
to the churches. Amen. What a very interesting, a very powerful message given by the Lord Jesus. And this morning, we want to examine this letter that was given or written to the church of Sardis. Now, in verse one, if you want to look with me, the Lord begins this message in the way that he begins all the seven messages. And he declares to the angel of the church of Sardis, right. Now, if you recall, we've been saying in past studies that the term angel used here in the introduction of all these seven messages, it's most likely a reference to the pastor or the spiritual leader of the church. You know, the term angel, it simply means messenger. And and most of the times it's used to refer to a heavenly messenger. But occasionally throughout the scriptures, we see that it also refers to a human messenger. And so that seems to be the case here in verse one in Revelations chapter three. Now, the city of Sardis, historians tell us that it was located about 30 miles southeast of Thyatira. Thyatira was the last church we studied. And during New Testament times, during the time that this message was given, the city of Sardis, it was a, a very wealthy, it was a very important And it was a very populated city in the Roman Empire. It was a very rich, a very wealthy city. You know, so rich was this city that they at one time had a king who the Greeks used to call King Midas. I don't know if you've ever heard the legend of King Midas. Everything he touched turned into gold. Actually, He was the king of Sardis at one time. And the reason why they called him Midas is because he was so wealthy and he had so much gold that a legend started spreading that everything he touched turned into gold. I I wish I had that touch, but sadly, I don't. (laughs) Be like, bam, let's sell it. But this this city was a very wealthy, a very popular, very important city. But like most cities in those days, it was also a very wicked, a very corrupt and a very idolatrous city. Many people worshiped idols in the city of Sardis. And so it was to the church of Sardis, which was located in a wealthy yet corrupt city that Jesus sent this fifth message. And this morning, I want to share with you guys five things that we learn, that we see concerning the message to Sardis. And if you have your outline, it's going to be very easy for you to stay with me and follow me. And let's look at some of these points together and let's see what we can learn from this letter, from this message. Because it was written to Sardis, but in all actuality, it was also written to you and to me. Because the Lord says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, if I ask the question this morning, how many of you have ears? I think most of us would say, yeah, I do. Even though many of us don't use them at times. But this morning, the the spirit wants to speak to us and we need to tune our ears to his voice and to the word of God. And so let's look at five things that we find in this message. The first thing we see is the description of Christ. Like every other message, 
the Lord begins by describing himself in a certain way to the church. And here in verse 1, we see that the Lord describes himself in two ways to the church of Sardis. Let's look at them together. First, the Lord describes himself there in verse 1. Look with me or look at your notes as he who has the seven spirits of God. As he who has the seven spirits of God. Now, when people first read that, right away they get a little confused. Right away they get a little frustrated and they say to themselves, what in the world is that? Or who is that? This reference to the seven spirits of God. We we see it coming up approximately three times in the book of Revelation. And this morning to just make the study simple, the term seven spirits of God is simply a reference to the Holy Spirit. It speaks of the Holy Spirit in all his fullness, in all his totality, in all his perfection. You see, in the scriptures, the number seven is often used to symbolize or to speak of something that's full, something that's total, something that is complete or perfect. And so when Jesus tells us that he has the seven spirits of God, all Jesus is telling us is that he possesses the fullness or the totality of the spirit of God. If you're taking notes, jot down this reference. John chapter 3, verse 34. And there we are told that Jesus possesses the spirit without measure. That the Lord Jesus possesses the spirit of God in all his fullness, in all his perfection. And this is why the Lord Jesus begins his message describing himself in this way. Don't don't miss this. It'll help you to understand the letter, the message. Jesus, he wanted the church of Sardis to understand that he was ready, he was willing, and he was able to pour out his spirit upon them. That is what Jesus wants us to understand. You see, the church in Sardis, they were a dead church. And the Lord from the beginning wanted this dead church to understand that he was able, he was capable, he was willing to pour out his spirit upon this dead church. He was able because he possesses the spirit without measure. The church of Sardis, they desperately needed the spirit of God. And listen to this. As believers, as Christians, we desperately need the spirit of God. We desperately need the person, the work, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You know, in the Old Testament, there in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, the Lord gave a message to Zerubbabel through the mouth of the prophet Zechariah. Now, Zerubbabel had had a, a tough task. A difficult job. He was hand chosen by God to lead the nation of Israel out of Babylonian captivity back to the promised land, back to Jerusalem. And Zerubbabel was commissioned by God to rebuild the temple. 
and kind of to get things back together in Jerusalem, which lay desolate for 70 years. And, and so Zerubbabel, he had a hard task. He had a tough job ahead of him. And the Lord, through the prophet Zechariah, gave this message to Zerubbabel. And this is what the Lord told him. Declare to Zerubbabel that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You're, you're not going to do your job. You're not going to do your task through your own strength, through your own power, through your own might. But you're going to do it through the power and work of my Holy Spirit. And, and, and that message applies to us as believers, because if you haven't figured it out already, it's hard being a Christian. Amen. It's tough. It's difficult. We have battles every single day. And sadly, many of us, oftentimes, we're trying to do it on our own strength. We're trying to do it on our own power. We're trying to get through the day and through the week by our own ability. And this morning, the Lord tells you when the Lord tells me, stop doing it on your own strength, but do it through the power and strength which comes by my spirit. Because he possesses. The seven spirit, he possesses the spirit without measure. And this morning, he wants to pour out his spirit upon each of our lives because we desperately need the Holy Spirit. Amen. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the word he uses, it speaks of a continuous feeling. Every single day, we need to depend and rely and seek out the filling of the Holy Spirit. How many can say amen to that? Man, praise God that the Lord has called me to do a tough job in this world, being a Christian. But he's given me the ability and power to do it. And it's found in the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the second way the Lord describes himself. The Lord, secondly, if you want to look in your notes or in your Bible, the Lord describes himself as have as he who has the seven stars. So first, the Lord tells us that he has the seven spirits of God. But next, he tells us that he has the seven stars. Now, in Revelations chapter 1, verse 20, the Bible teaches us that the seven stars represent the seven angels of the seven churches. It represents the pastors or the spiritual leaders of the church. And so here in his second way to describe himself, the Lord tells us that he has the pastors or the leaders in his hand. Even in Revelations chapter two, verse one, he tells us that he has them in his right hand. And it's so amazing. But in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, the Lord would even tell us that he not only has the pastors, he not only has the leaders of the church in his hand, but the Lord has all believers, every member of the church in his hand. Isn't it so amazing to think that as a believer, as a Christian, this morning, the Lord has us in the palm of his hand. He's has us in a place of protection, a place of comfort, a place of provision, a place of privilege. This morning, Jesus 
He got you. He got you good. And believe me, he's not going to let go of you. You know, one of the last things that my mom told me before she passed away almost three years in this January. But one of the last things that she told me is is she told me, son, I'm praying that the Lord would, would keep you. The Lord would keep you. Soon, she understood that she was going to be gone, that she was going to depart physically from this, this earth, from this world. And because of that, she was going to be unable to watch me, unable to protect me, unable to look after me and, and keep me, you might say, unable to do the job of a mother. And so for the last time, because of that, she was praying and she was just committing my life into the Lord's hand. And I remember she would tell me, I'm praying that that the Lord would keep you, son. That that was like her last prayer for my life before she would go with the Lord, that, that the Lord would keep you. She just kept on telling me that I'm praying that the Lord would keep you. And as I read here in in Revelations chapter 3, that my life is in the hand of Jesus, I have no doubt that my mother's prayer will be answered. My mom was praying that the Lord would keep me. And as I read that I'm in the hands of Christ, And as I read that he's able to keep me from stumbling, I have no doubt that my mom's prayer will be answered. You know, I think the best way we can look at it is like this. We're in good hands in Christ's hands. And this morning, rest in the fact that an all-powerful God Man, he has you in the palm of his hand. What are you going through? What's your need? What's your battle? What's your fear? What's your struggle? As you begin to realize and understand that Jesus has you in the palm of his hand. As a believer, all your struggles, all your fears, all your doubts just disappear in the hand of of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, there, there was a brother. His name was Robert Robinson. And in the year 1758, he wrote a very famous hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And in his hymn, he, he wrote this stanza. He wrote this line. And it always ministers to my heart. He said, prone to wonder, Lord I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. This is what the brother was saying. He was saying that that as a believer, he's prone to wonder. In other words, he's susceptible. He's vulnerable of sin, of temptation, of distraction. He's prone to wonder. He's prone to to get distracted. He's prone to kind of give in to temptation. But regardless of that, he knows that the Lord has the power and the ability to keep him. And so he says, Lord, here's my heart. Take it, Lord. Seal it, Lord. For thy courts above. And the truth is that's what we need to do every single day. Every morning commit yourself into the Lord's hands. Commit yourself to the Lord's safekeeping. You know that's what I love about Sundays. I love gathering with the saints 
on Sunday, the Lord's Day, because really what we're doing is, is we're hearing from the Lord. We're spending time with the Lord, but we're also committing our week into the Lord's hands. That's what we're doing this morning. We're coming to meet with the Lord, but we're also coming to ask the Lord to keep us this week and to go before us because many of us are going to be going to work, going to school, home, and we're going to, man, we're going to battle. We're going to struggle. We're going to be tempted. Maybe right now things at your home is not good. Maybe you're having some problems, some pain, some hurts. And what a better way to start the week and to approach all those struggles by committing ourselves in the Lord's hands. And the Lord is able, the Lord is willing to keep us, to help us, and to preserve us to get through the week and to come back next Sunday with victory amen and so the lord describes to us that that he has us in his hands the seven star and i say praise god for that description i need to know that you know because sometimes i'm like oh man am i gonna make it i'm struggling lord i'm battling i'm tempted lord i'm feeling weak it's tough and the lord says Stop crying at him. Shut your mouth. I have you in my hand. I have you in my hand. Just rest and trust in me. Let's look at at the second thing. The second thing, and we're going to try to hurry so I don't have too much time left. We want to look at the word of commendation by Christ. The word of commendation. And that's found in verse four, the, the Lord, he didn't commend or he didn't praise the church as a whole, but the Lord only commended. He only praised a few believers within the church. Look with me. Verse four, the Lord said, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. And so the Lord, he didn't give a word of praise to the church as a whole, but the Lord only gave it to a few believers. You know, sadly, in the church of Sardis, there was only a few believers who had not defiled themselves with the ways of the world, who had not given in to sin. And I find it interesting that although there was only a few probably only a handful the lord took notice the lord was aware the lord understood who was truly following him and who was truly faithful to him in in the midst of many people the lord was aware of those who were true and faithful towards him and the lord took notice and he gave him a word of commendation he told him good job there's only a few of you there's only a few of you who are 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 staying away from sin who are keeping your garments white and clean but 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 i'm i'm watching i'm looking i'm aware and i want you to know that you're doing a good job. And the Lord even tells them that because they are faithful, he is going to allow them to walk with him in white. You know, really, because of their consecration to Christ, don't miss this, because of their consecration, because of their purity, because of their integrity, The Lord promises them communion with Christ. Man, I I think that you missed it. You didn't seem too excited about that. Listen, nothing in this world can compare with communion with Jesus. 
nothing, nothing in this world can compare spending time with Jesus, fellowshipping, to have a, a friendship with Jesus. There's nothing that this world can offer like that. No, that's why the great hymn says, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. And the Lord promises these believers and the Lord promises us that as we consecrate ourselves, as we stay pure, as we stay holy, as we stay set apart from the things of this world, we're going to walk with him. We're going to spend time and commune with him. You know, that really teaches us that if we give in to sin, if we give in to the things of this world, we're not going to commune with him, but we're going to be separated from him. And you got to beware of sin. Sin, I like to say, will clog up the access to the fount of every blessing. That's what sin does. It's like the Lord wants to pour out blessings and fellowship and communion upon our lives. But when we begin to sin, when we begin to give in to the flesh, all it does is it, it clogs out, clogs up those blessings. And the Lord promised consecration leads to communion. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to commune with the Lord. Amen. I want Jesus every day. You know, he's like a faithful friend. You know, you, you have right now Facebook, really big. And everybody has friends on Facebook. You know, the other day, one of my friends I saw, he had like 300 friends. I was like, man, that's a lot of friends. But I asked him, but, but is Jesus your friend, you know? <laughs> because you have all those friends, but eh, when it comes down to it, they're not going to be there for you. When it comes down to it, they ain't going to get your back. But it's so amazing to think that Jesus, he's always there and that Jesus always has our back. You know, Jesus, he's the best friend you can have. More faithful than even a dog. That's kind of hard to believe because all of us like, man, but my dog, he's always there. Well, Jesus is so much more faithful. And the beautiful thing about it is, is he can love you back. You know, he can. He demonstrated that love on the cross. And, and, and that's what we have in Christ. And hopefully this morning you're, you're communing with him. Hopefully you're getting to know him, spending time with him. Because if you're not, you're missing out on everything. Let, let's look at, at the third point. After the commendation, the Lord brings a, a word of correction. And, and that's found in in verse one, the Lord only brought one word of correction, but but it was a very serious one. The Lord told them in verse one, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Ouch. That's serious. You, you have a, a name that you're alive, but you're dead. The church of Sardis, and it was a dead church. They were dead. You know, and it's crazy because the Lord tells them that you have a name, and that's speaking of, of a reputation. That's speaking of how everyone knew or perceived the church. They had a reputation that they were alive, that they were spiritual, that they were successful. They had a reputation that they genuinely loved Jesus. Everybody was talking about the church. Everyone in the city was saying, man, that's, that's a good church. They look good. They do so many good works. They have a, a nice building. They have a good programs. They have busy, successful activities. They had this reputation for being alive and well, spiritual, successful. But Jesus, who knows all things, 
who sees all things, he was in fault. And he told this church, hey, you got a reputation that you're alive, but guess what? You are dead. You're dead. You're dormant. You're you're sleeping. You know, isn't it so true that this is the problem? The problem that Sardis had is the problem that many churches and many believers have today. They look alive, but they're dead. They look like they're super spiritual and they're like, man, what a church. 15,000 people every Sunday, a building as big as the Staples Center. What a church, man, they're alive. TV show, radio show, books, everyone going to see this preacher, man, they're alive. But then you hear the message and you're like, oh, they're dead. Whoops. They must have missed something. Well, actually, they missed everything. They're not even talking about Jesus. Spiritually dead. Many churches, they got the big buildings, the huge congregations, and the oppressive programs. But but they're dead. There's no spiritual life. And it's not only for churches. And but a lot of times it's believers, too. You know, many believers, they have all the busy ministries. They have all the good works. They got the right look and the right words, but spiritually, they're dead. And that was the problem that Sardis had. And that was, that is the problem that many people have today. Got a lot of religion. They got a lot of good works, but they don't have no relationship with Jesus Christ. And this morning, I think all of us, we need to be careful. We need to be careful with two things. Listen to this. We need to be careful with dead religion. And we need to be careful with the routine. Because at times, the Christian walk, if we're not careful, it can turn into religion. And it could turn into routine. And just because we're here on Sunday... We think we're alive. We think everything's going good. Just because I'm involved in a ministry, you know, I I begin to think, "Ah, I'm doing okay. Nothing's wrong. And we might run the risk of falling like the church of Sardis. Having a reputation that we're alive, but in all actuality, we're dead. And we need to be careful. And we need to ask the Lord to keep us from the routine and from dead religion. And we need to just focus on our relationship with Jesus. That every day, every week, our passion, our love, our joy for Jesus would grow more and more. You know, if I asked you this morning, how is your relationship with Christ? What would be your answer? You know, would your answer be, well, it's doing great. You know, I serve. I'm always there at church. I pay my tithes. Well, whoa, how is your relationship with Christ? Not how is your ministry or how is your Christian service? How is your relationship with Jesus? That is the question that all of us need to worry about. You know, the, the, the Lord says, There in the gospel of Luke, not everyone who calls me Lord is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That some on that day is going to say, Lord, but but I did this in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I worked miracles in your name. And the Lord is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You had a lot of works. You had a lot of ministries, but you forgot about me. And I don't know about you, but on that day, I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be me. I don't want the Lord to say, who are you? But Lord, I was preaching Sunday morning at Templo Victoria. Lord, but I helped with the youth. Lord, weren't you there during the VBS? 
didn't you see all those young people, Lord, who gave their life to Christ? And I'm going to be like winking. The Lord's going to be like, but what is all that? Depart from me. I never knew you. On that day, I don't want it to happen. And so now I need to focus first on Jesus, focus first on my relationship, and then everything else will fall into place. Amen. Let's not have a, a, a reputation, a name that we're alive, but instead, let's live like we're alive. Amen. You know, a lot of people talk. A lot of people have a, a loud bark, but, but where's the bites? Where's the actions? And let us be Christians of action. Amen. That's what it's about. Our relationship with Christ and in the Lord, he brought a word of correction against this church. Let's look at at the fourth thing. The fourth thing we want to look at is the exhortation by Christ. After telling this church that they were dead, the Lord exhorts them or he tells them two things that they need to do. And I want to look at them with you briefly. The first thing the Lord exhorts them to do is to wake up, wake up. Look with me in verse two. The Lord says, be watchful. Now, another way that can be translated is wake up, wake up. That's the first thing the Lord told this dead church to do. Wake up the church of Sardis. They needed to wake up. From their spiritual slumber. They needed to wake up. They needed to be revived. And resurrected. They needed to stop sleeping. They needed to stop being in a state of deadness. And they needed to wake up. And it's the same with us. This morning if we find ourselves spiritually dead. If we find ourselves spiritually sleeping, the Holy Spirit tells you and he tells me, man, wake up, wake up, wake up, Christian, wake up. Now is not the time to sleep. Have you ever thought about that? Now's not the time to sleep. Now is the time to be more serious more passionate, more committed to Jesus than at any other time in world history. Now's not the time to sleep. You know, can you imagine that one day the Lord is going to return? And that's what the Lord tells this church. Unless you wake up, I'm going to come and I'm going to come like a thief. You're not going to be ready. You're not going to be prepared because you're sleeping. And one day the the Lord is going to return for his church and on that day i do not want to be sleeping i don't want to be unprepared but i want to be prepared i want to be ready when jesus returns and to do that i need to wake up i need to i have to i must wake up because eternity separated from God is too long for me. It's too long. And we need to wake up. We need to fall more in love with Jesus every day. I don't care what you got to do or what you got to give up. You need to wake up if you're spiritually sleepy or if You're spiritually dead. And that's the first thing the Lord tells them to do. Now, the second thing, and and I I like this one. I thought it was interesting that in verse three, the Lord exhorts them not only to wake up, but he exhorts them to remember, to remember. The Lord says, remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. And so the second thing the Lord told this church to do who were dead 
was to remember what they had received and heard. Now, that's a reference to the word of God. They heard, they received the word. And so the Lord told them, you got to go back to what you heard, to what you received. You need to go back to the basics. You're making everything too difficult, too complicated. You're worrying too much about your reputation, about your name, about your programs. Go back to the basics when it was all about seeking me and seeking me through my word. You know, listen to this. Returning to the word of God, getting back to basics, it will awake any church, any believer from spiritual slumber because the Bible teaches us that the word of God is living and powerful. And so if you're dead spiritually, start reading the living word of God and it will impart life to your spiritual deadness. You know, today's church, and I always say this, and I'm convinced, and I've asked the Lord, never let me change my attitude towards this. That's like one of my prayers. Today's church, okay, the church in America, we can say, it doesn't need a new program. It doesn't need a new book to be written or a new TV show to come out. The church of Jesus, it needs to return to its roots and it needs to rediscover the power in the life that's found in the word of God. You know, the, the first church, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is what we read, that they focused on the apostles' doctrine, the scriptures, they focused on fellowship, they focused on the breaking of bread, and they focused on prayer. That's the blueprint of a successful church. And that's what the church of Sardis needed to do. They needed to remember what they had received and heard, and they had to go back to the basics. And maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you're saying, man, I'm kind of spiritually dead, kind of spiritually asleep. The Lord says, man, go back to the basics. Go back where you found your first love. Go back reading the word like you used to. Go back spending time in prayer, spending time in fellowship. And if you do that, you're going to wake up. Amen. Amen. Let's finish up. I got five minutes and we got the last point. The last thing we want to look at is is the promise by Christ. And I'm going to ask you to. Give me your attention on this last point as we finish. Very, very important. The Lord ends his message to the church of Sardis with a promise to all those who are overcoming. It's found in in, in verse 5. Now, if you remember, 1 John 5, 5 teaches us that all overcomers are those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Those are overcomers, genuine believers. And read with me verse 5. And in verse 5, the Lord ends this message by promising all overcomers eternal life. Eternal life. Look at what it says. He overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And so the Lord ends by promising all those who place their faith and trust in Jesus that they will be clothed in white garments. That speaks of righteousness being accepted in the sight of God and that they will have their names registered and secured in the book of life. Now, the book of life is the most important book that you can have your name written in. You see, the Bible teaches us 
that all those whose name is not found written in the book of life, the Bible teaches us that one day they will be cast into the lake of fire. That if your name is not found written in the book of life, you will spend eternity separated from God. And so this morning, this is the most important question you will answer in your lifetime. And you can ignore me this morning, but one day you're going to have to answer this question. Is your name written in the book of life? That's the question. Is your name written in the book of life? Now, you might be asking me, how do I get my name written in the book of life? And the Bible teaches is simply you place your faith and trust in Jesus and you receive his salvation and forgiveness by faith. And that's how your name is written in the book of life. But this morning, that's the question. That's the most important question you will answer. Is your name written in the book of life? I want to end sharing with you this story. I read recently when, when I heard this story, man, it, it just really impacted me. It almost drove me to tears. And the story is about a woman named Ruthena, Ruthena Metzger. And a few years ago, this woman, she was hired to sing for a wealthy man at his wedding. She was a, a professional singer. And a wealthy man hired her to sing at his wedding. She agreed and she went to the wedding and sang. Now, after the wedding, Ruthena and her husband, they started making their way to the reception. Now, they were excited about the reception because it was going to be held in the most luxurious, richest, nicest place in all of Seattle. And they were very excited to attend this reception. It was going to be the most luxurious, elegant reception that they've ever been invited to. And so Ruthanna and her husband, they were all excited. She finished singing at the wedding at the church and she and her husband started driving to the reception. Now, as they arrived to the location, they got other cars and they started walking towards the doors or the entrance of the reception hall. And as they arrived to the doors, immediately there was a gentleman there with a black tuxedo who stopped them. And he asked them this simple question. What's your name, please? Your, your, your name, please. What, what's your name? Very confidently, she said, my name is Ruthanna Metzger. As if she was thinking, this guy got to know who I am. I was the singer. I'm famous. I know no guy that got married. And so she said, Ruthanna Metzger. And so right away, the gentleman, the, the usher, right away, he, he looked at his book. He went to the M's and he began to try to find her name in the book. But he searched and he searched and he searched. But he couldn't find her. And he told her, sorry, I can't find your name. Sorry, I can't find you and your husband registered in the book. And right away, Ruthanna said, there has to be a mistake. I was the singer at the wedding. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I've done? And the gentleman very nicely, but very bluntly told Ruthanna, it doesn't matter who you are or it doesn't matter what you've done. If your name is not in the book, you're not coming in. And immediately he called the waiter and he told the waiter, escort Ruthanna and her husband to the parking lot. 
And as they got in their car, Ruthanna's husband, you know, he, he noticed that, that she was a little bothered, that she was a little upset. He asked her, Ruthanna, honey, what happened? What just happened right now? And Ruthanna, regrettably, she responded. When the invitation arrived, I was busy and I never bothered to RSVP for the reception. I just thought that because I was a singer, I just thought that that I didn't have to RSVP. I thought because I was coming out in the wedding, I thought I didn't have to respond to the invitation. And after Ruthanna said those words to her husband, she says in her story, in the writing that, that she wrote, that she began to weep there in the car. That just tears began to flow from her eyes. And, and she says that she wept not simply because she was going to miss out on the most luxurious reception that she has ever been invited to. But, but she said that that wasn't the reason she began to cry. But she says that she began to cry because for the first time in her life as a Christian, she suddenly had a small taste of what it will be like for the people as they stand before God Almighty and their names are not found written in the book of life. That's why she began to weep for the first time as a believer she got a lot, a little taste of what it's going to be like for all those people who stand before God and they think because of their name, because of their good works, because of their religion, they think they're going to be able to enter the Lord's wedding reception. But the truth is, like Ruthanna, they are going to be denied at the door. And sadly, many people, they're too busy. They're too busy to respond to Christ's invitation. And, and they think because of their good works, they think because of their good life, they think because of their good name, they, they think they're going to be able to enter heaven. But the reality is, that if their name is not found written in the book of life, you're not going to enter heaven's gates. And if you're here this morning, and I'm just going to end with this. I got to end. But if you're here this morning, man, and if you're ignoring Christ's invitation, one day you are going to regret it. And I would just encourage you, wake up, repent. Don't delay and give your life to Jesus. And fellow Christians, I would even tell you, we must also wake up and we need to pursue Christ like never before. Because one day he's coming back and I don't know about you, but I don't want him to come back as a thief. But I want him to come back as my bridegroom. And that's why we need to wake. Let's pray. If you would stand with me. Father, we thank you for your word. and We thank you, Lord, for just all the truth, all the encouragement, all the exhortation that is found in your word. Lord, this message, Lord, I, I know it was for me, Lord. And I know it was for others who are here this morning. And, and really, Lord, the, the message was so clear. That you're calling us, Lord, to wake up. You're calling us, Lord, to wake up from our spiritual slumber. From our spiritual deadness. And, and, and this morning, Holy Spirit, Spirit of the living God, we ask you, we beg you to come and to wake us up. 
we ask that you would, would, would bring us to the place that we need to be, Lord. Bring us to that maturity, that growth, that love, that passion that you desire for us to have. We can't do it on our own, Lord. We, we can't wake ourselves up, Lord, but we need an alarm clock. And in this morning, Holy Spirit, be that alarm clock. 